Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always. And with me today as co- I don't even- I'm tripping, we might have to have a, a, a death match here between Ricardo and Brandon Stevens. We're both in the in the building. Guys, thanks for uh, thanks for coming through and doing this. Ding, ding, ding. In this corner, Ricardo Benavides. I mean, he's, oh, missing, he's missing a kidney, man. I mean, no, I know, I know Ricardo's a little older than you, Brandon. But. There's absolutely no no beef going on in here. It's all love. It's That's all right. Love. Well, you can listen to this podcast anywhere that podcasts are played. Uh, we're, we're all over the place. Apple, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever, wherever you might possibly listen to a podcast. If you could rate, review, like, share, all that good stuff, we would appreciate it. Uh, yeah, guys, welcome. It's, it's so crazy. Brandon's back in the building. He's healthy and doing well. And Ricardo's here. We got we got the uh, cousin Dom's in the building too, off to the side here. We got everybody. This is, this is great, man. How and you it's guys a beautiful doing? day here in uh, the studio on uh, wonderful Hicks Lake. Yeah, the 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 shores of Lake Hicks Lake is what we like to call it. Um, no, man, I'm just happy to be back, Jeremy, and I'm just real thankful that Ricardo was able to jump in here. And I honestly think like if he can make it down here. We should just turn this this thing into what it is right here. The more the merrier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just adds to it, and you're you bring a whole different element to the podcast. Um, and like I was telling you guys off off uh, the mics here is you know a little more fact checking from <laughs> Ricardo, Jeremy. Yeah. You know, when we're bringing the news of the week. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's nice to have uh, a legit element to that. Um, sending articles over to Ricardo first to proofread. I think we found that might be necessary. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I, yeah, I feel like having Ricardo in, in with us is is uh, definitely adds adds something something really good to the to the show, and people have seemed to like it. So. Well, I guess it's that old adage, you know, age before beauty kind of yeah. helps there, right? Well, it's already been a month since I haven't been on the podcast, so. It feels it's it feels like true. a long time. Yeah, it really feels like it's been a while since I. But it's good to be home. It is, man. We got we got new mics. Hopefully, these are sounding beautiful to all of your ears yep. right now. Well, I know uh, you sound good. Yeah, we always do. You always sound just oh, delightful yeah. on the mic, Jeremy. Oh yeah. Whenever yeah. I listen to the podcast, such a soothing. It's just not not very often that he listens to the podcast. Though. Yeah, he listens to it. He goes to sleep by it. I don't like to listen to myself. Yeah, that's yeah. my thing. Yeah. Well, you guys, I did want to uh, take a minute on on kind of a somber note um, and talk about former guest on the podcast uh, Tony Davenport from uh, Kinetic Touch Medical Massage down in Atlanta. Um, you know, I know he's friends with our, our guy Anton, uh, who's been on the show a couple of times. And Anton posted something on Sunday night. I, I'm like, you know, pissed off because I just watched the Seahawks lose. And then I all of a sudden, man, put everything back in into perspective when I looked at Ant- Anton's uh, Instagram story and saw that Tony had passed away. And I mean, he's. This guy's a, a former Marine, like in you know good shape, like not an old guy's, you know, late forties maybe. Uh, and yeah, I just was like, what the hell happened? You know, I texted Anton. He said COVID. 
and you know it's like damn man he wasn't vaccinated yet and i guess he was anton said he was gonna get vaccinated and just hadn't done it yet and uh yeah i mean it's just a shame it's really sad man. yeah that this is, is sad first, you know first uh first podcast guest that's passed away it's just terrible to to you know terrible uh mark to to have on our our record i guess but um well that's the reality of covid yeah. right now it's um i saw a, a study or it was i want to say a study a poll that said something around 70 percent of americans know somebody that died of covid and that's just i think in my mind that's just remarkable yeah like three quarters of the country know somebody personally that's died of covid and here we are nearly two years into it well, year and a half and you know now we're losing podcast guests and um yeah it's a wild time man yeah it is you know the thing is about this is that if you got somebody that you love or somebody that loves you don't hesitate don't procrastinate get vaccinated you know Jesus. just do it straight up yeah. man. yeah i like that honesty man we sometimes like to beat around the bush and not ruffle any feathers on this podcast because we know we got all the sinners but damn man like there's no reason for that no yeah you could have uh definitely yeah yeah he's got he's got kids man yeah. i mean it's yeah. just it's it's terrible it's so terrible and just unnecessary really i mean yeah, no, I unnecessary know. is yeah. what it is it, when when you have something available yeah to potentially um give you a better fighting chance against that that's definitely go get vaccinated and especially if you um have some uh secondary health conditions you know like there's just no right my mind just doesn't compute why you wouldn't well the the thing that really got me is that i had i talked with anton over like sunday and monday i think and he like tony's his boy like he would come over to his house like they would hang out and you know watch games and listen to music or whatever and uh he told me that you know he had been in constant contact with Tony like through like Tony let him know don't come into the into the uh clinic today I'm not feeling well and then you know we're shutting it down and then you know a couple days later it's like I, I have to go to the hospital you know I think I'm gonna be all right though and then he basically texted Anton like yeah they're about to put me on a ventilator and I mean that was it so like I couldn't even imagine like going into the fucking hospital right now and being told you have to go on a ventilator and it's like, you know, how many people are not waking up from that? Like, oh man, God, yeah. Could you even imagine like being of sound mind and body and hearing that like just that yeah you're about to go on a ventilator? Well, so we're gonna yeah, and now put you under. we were just like we were talking yesterday, Jay. Like we when someone's getting COVID now and then they tell you and then you shoot them like a text for the next few days and they're not answering and you have no idea right like what's happening to them right um because we've been dealing with that recently and so you know you know a couple of people have covid right now i'm just i want to shoot them a text say hey how are you doing then i don't hear back i'm like you just yeah. think the worst yeah you get that stress yeah yeah seriously yeah so um were you on a ventilator when you just had your recent surgery <laughs> No, no, it okay. was uh, not a ventilator. They just had me. I don't think I had any type of. Uh, well, I think probably when I was under anesthesia, I definitely was on. Yeah, oxygen, oxygen and whatnot. Oxygen but yeah, stuff. but you weren't. You didn't have a, a ventilator. So I know. You know, I had my heart surgery. It's been twenty years now. But uh, 
when I woke up and I was on that ventilator, that was the worst feeling in the world. Gotcha. It was yeah. horrific. You know, and I know that uh, probably a lot of spinal cord injury people, you know, especially that are severe like Jeremy was, you know, were on ventilators. Not a good feeling. Uh-huh. So, no. I mean, thank God I don't remember so, any of that. Well, like but... when you're under anesthesia, you know, they give you probably some sort of breathing tube and, you know, you got sore throat and stuff like that. But right. I, I would assume being awake while that's inside of you. Yeah. Oh. Well, I just remember waking up and uh, that ventilator breathing for me, you know, and I didn't really have any control and you're strapped to the gurney, you know, because they don't want you to wake up and pull Crazy. cords out and stuff like that. It was miserable. Tell me more, man. Oh, it's terrifying. It was really you can't terrifying. talk. Yeah, you can't talk. Yeah, you can't do anything. Can't move your, you know, because like I said, they had you strapped down. So you know. you've experienced that crazy. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I remember is being in the hospital. I remember like they would put a pencil in my mouth or something. Like I would try to like tell you guys what words I like with an alphabet in front of me and I would try to tell you guys what words. Yeah. Uh, maybe you guys weren't in there when this happened, but I like or maybe I was just like so Sounds. high on drugs I don't remember <laughs> it, but that's what I, I vaguely like remember something like that and yeah that was it was not a pleasant feeling that's for sure yeah i don't know man that was a long time ago and uh quite honestly i blocked a lot of that out man but yeah. but you know all these procedures that we've had have been in this first world country with probably the greatest this medical system in the world mm-hmm. and our guest today had a very bad accident in a third world country right doctor yeah so we uh we got to visit with dr anna luker uh she or i did anyway um i, I and uh yeah she is she's amazing man like she had yeah she was visiting her partner in barbados and i mean i don't want to give too much away had an accident and basically thank god was airlifted or medevaced out of barbados to miami for surgery so she ended up getting to go to Jackson Memorial, which is, you know, one of the the best uh, spinal cord injury facilities. And I think they're tied to the Miami Project, which is, you know, the best rehabilitation facility or one of the best rehabilitation facilities for spinal cord injuries in the country, if not the world. Um, and so, yeah, that was, you know, she, she, it, her story is pretty, pretty harrowing. Well, some of those key takeaways, you know, uh, uh, things were um, like uh, medical insurance, right? For her to fly out of there was like real expensive. I know I've known a couple people actually recently. I mean, they actually went to Hawaii and they, you know, the guy's 62 years old, decides, you know, that he's going to hit all his bucket list things, does some body surfing, gets flipped by a wave and ends up in the emergency room. Luckily, he didn't uh, break his neck or anything, just banged his head up. So listen, uh, I've... uh... I have first-hand experience with emergency room in the Caribbean islands, and I will say that uh, you're not you're not far away when you call it a third world country because the medical services there are, and I'm sure Barbados is even a little worse because it's much smaller than where where I was at. Um, you know what I remember most about going to the emergency room in Bahamas was it felt like I was going back to like 1970. The x-ray machines were old. Everything was metal. Um, the doctors, you know, were good doctors. But they didn't have the capability to even deal with most things. You know what right. I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of personally, what I like 
thought was interesting about that interview, Jay, was um, and getting some perspective about getting injured during a pandemic. Yeah. And kind of what we haven't even really even talked about on this. I mean, we've, right. we've kind of scratched the surface. You know, I know with, with Ashley and Nikki Lorenz, they got injured, right? I mean, or they came home not long before the pandemic hit, right? But yeah, nobody that's like, I mean, she was in it like in February, like, you know, mid-February. She, she got hurt, I guess. In, like, I think she said February 9th of 2020. Yeah, and they which, announced it shortly afterwards. Right, I think, yeah. I think it was February 14th, like that the NBA shut down yep. and, um, you know, college basketball, everything shut down that, that next week. So that's crazy. That was March. Yeah. Or I guess that was, no, it was, oh, maybe. Well, we, right. Yeah, you're we, right. uh, we stopped going to school on March 13th. Okay, so yeah, so then, my bad. Have, it was a month later then. I'm they'll thinking, definitely yeah. stop sports before, the, or after. Right, they right. Stop school, so. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, it, you know, it, dealing with that though i mean she was in she was airlifted to miami went through rehab and stuff for a few weeks three or four weeks and then had to fly back she's from hawaii so then she had to fly back to hawaii and you know i mean during yeah dealing with, with the pandemic like no you know very few i'm sure there's very few people on the flights and um but yeah just like the being in a hospital during a pandemic can't be a good feeling and, and being having, a doctor yeah. in a hospital right right because you know all the protocols that need to be followed you and you know even your own circumstance right you know you just want to you, you want to be leveled with right and I, I believe she was but i mean it's just like all the things you think about like you know like if you're a car mechanic right and your car starts running wrong you know immediately what mm-hmm. procedures need to be followed what's going on you know, it's not a really great analogy, but, you know, being in that profession, all of a sudden it's like, wow, my whole world is kind of turned upside down. And, you know, the trust and the loss of control that you have, Jeremy, like you've had, right? right. And others that have been injured this way. So, um, yeah, and we and I did. I, I asked her about that from a couple of different perspectives, too. Like, I wanted to know, you know, first of all, like mental, like from a mental health standpoint, like what is it like? going from being you know the doctor that everybody turns to 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 get answers from to now you're yeah you like, like you're you the said, patient you have no control yeah. you're you're completely uh at the mercy of other people to to you know steer you straight and and yeah answer your questions which has to be a, an odd feeling and and she, so we dug into that quite a bit and you know thank god anna can walk with the help of, of crutches and stuff you, can, you know that's the thing no uh no two spinal cord injuries are the same right so you right. can have somebody that can walk but like she said she still gets drop foot and like you know uh neuropathic pains yeah. and stuff and like so she you know it's not not comfortable like venturing out to for too far distances by herself or at least at this stage and she's only 18 months removed from her injuries so um yeah hope god willing she gets back to 100 percent. but i just thought it was a, a cool perspective to talk to somebody who is not only a doctor but also had you know got injured in another country got you know there's just a, it was a very very interesting uh from my perspective a very interesting interview and i'm i'm yeah she, she she also touched on something that i thought was really interesting where she kind of manifests where she thinks about um, the movement and those nerves, because she is a doctor, 
to those muscles, right? Right. Even though they're not maybe working now, you know, she still thinks about that. And I remember, you know, not to go back on me again, but thinking of a good, healthy heart, you know, thinking about that and not a diseased heart, you know, to right. help me recover. We touched quite a bit on mindfulness on this podcast, yeah. especially early in the, in our early episodes, years, right. of, years ago now, um, how having a positive mindset, we feel, is definitely going to contribute to your, not only your overall health, but maybe even healing. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I've been waiting for Ricardo this entire time to say that when uh, when Anna was injured, Dr. Luker was injured, it was just an ordinary day. It was just an ordinary just day. Ordinary exactly. Day. That's exactly what I, I was getting around to that. But, Brandon's looking but at us confused no, right now. He hasn't been listening to the podcast. Yes. But it is. But, but, but these I'm things not. happen. These things happen all the time. Yeah. Right? Just under ordinary circumstances. You know, yeah, I, I don't want to give it away, but yeah, yeah this is yeah. one of those just like... Freak, just random freak thing. Yeah. You just yeah. chill. One day you're chilling. Yeah. Uh, Next day you have a broken neck. God, yeah. Broken back. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, let's get to let's get to Doctor Luker now. And I like the whole uh, the whole interview. I called her Anna, and then I was like, oh, I'm like, no disrespect. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Doctor, you know, yeah, she's like, no. She's like, no, it's good. Name, she's like, yeah. no, it's good. Don't worry about it. You yeah. can call me Anna. So. Anyway, we'll get to Dr. Luper. We, uh, yeah, she's great. And uh, I think you guys will all enjoy this. We'll talk to you on the other side. All right. Thanks, Jer. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are so excited to visit with Anna Luker. Anna is a pediatrician and a spinal cord injury survivor. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. I'm really excited. Oh yeah, this is awesome. I'm glad we were finally able to uh, to make this work. Um, you know, for anybody, generally, you know, at the beginning of these interviews, when, when I'm talking to somebody who is a spinal cord injury survivor, uh, you know, I, I just want you to tell your story of like how how you were injured, how this all came to be. Yeah, it's been um, it's been quite the wild ride. Um, that's for sure. And my injury happened right at the beginning um, of COVID, uh, literally, I think a week or two before COVID was declared a pandemic. So I sometimes say, I feel like kind of with that fall, I just woke up in this alternate reality where I can't walk anymore. And the entire world has just kind of been turned upside down. So that definitely added a little bit of an extra layer uh to my to my recovery since then um yeah the accident so um it was uh february 9th 2020 um and i was uh just hanging out with some friends um it was four of us having a barbecue at at a friend's house um and we were all standing on um his balcony or rather kind of the landing to the stairs that leads up to up to his house maybe second story a little bit higher than that uh between second and third um and yeah we were pretty much all just hanging out um eating dinner uh standing on that balcony and literally out of absolutely nowhere uh, the entire structure broke off of the building um so 
I don't, I don't remember even hearing like a creaking. There was really nothing that could have prepared me. And I was, I was just really unfortunate um, of the four of us. I was the one standing with my back kind of facing outwards. I was leaning against the railing of the balcony. So when the balcony collapsed, it kind of fell with my corner first. And I just fell straight down and landed right on that, that beam. Um, and then the whole balcony kind of almost somersaulted and came literally to lie actually just a few feet above my, above my body. So lucky wow. and unlucky at the same time. Yeah. No kidding. Cool. No kidding. So what level um, injury did you suffer? So I had a compression burst fracture at T12. Um, but my injury presents more as a T11. So I got a little bonus vertebrae, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and yeah, I just remember kind of in that moment, you know, um, I, I didn't lose consciousness, but I don't remember the fall itself. I remember feeling unsteady on my feet. And then I just remember lying, lying on the ground. And um, for me, it was really... Um, it wasn't pain or inability to move or anything like that. It was actually feeling the, the beam underneath me and knowing kind of where the load, like just knowing it was, you know, my back and my back had kind of bent over it. And that was, that was for me really that moment when I knew like, yeah, this is, this is not good. Something, something bad happened this time. Right. Right. And I was, I was kind of wondering what that thought initial thought must have been like because like some people that have the you know that have spinal cord injuries a lot of it's like major tra traumatic accident that you know you're in you're you're out of it you lose consciousness whatever the case may be but so not losing consciousness and being a doctor I mean what yeah like what what must have been going through your head at that at that moment kind of when you you know you, you just knew something was bad yeah, it's a really, um, it's a really good question. And I feel like being a doctor, obviously, I, a part of my brain goes into doctor mode, even when it's for myself. And I think that was good, because that kind of kept me calm, it gave me like a focus. And, and it's a thought pattern, how you kind of manage trauma as a physician, that really just keeps you in a more neutral headspace, which I think is what was really good for myself. Um, I've gotten into tons of crazy accidents. I feel like we all have. And actually my first thought when I landed and kind of had caught my breath again was, you know what, this is gonna be another one of those stories where I, it's gonna be a crazy story and at the end of the day, though, nothing bad really happened. Um, so I had that split second. Um, and then, yeah, it was really feeling that beam and kind of literally just knowing medically with that location and that kind of a fall from that high, um, this, there's no way that this ended anything other than much worse than, than kind of my initial instinct was. Wow. And yeah, and, and honestly, actually for my partner, he knew something was wrong because he had been with me um, on the balcony as well. And he got 
Um, he injured his leg, but he was facing outward. So he was thankfully able to kind of jump with the falling balcony. Um, and he said, you know, he landed, he kind of made sure his injury was somewhat under control. And, and then he kind of called out and was just checking on, on the rest of us. And uh, for him, he said, he knew that it was really bad when my first response to him was call an ambulance. Because we all know doctors hate being the patient. Um, and so for him, it was pretty clear if, if I was immediately asking for that kind of medical attention um, and then that in a third world country uh, on top of things, because um, we were in Barbados at the time, he knew that definitely was, was a bad sign and that I must have been really, really injured. Oh yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize you were in Barbados when you were actually injured. So, um, what was the, you know, what was the care like? I mean, did you have to go through surgery there in Barbados, or did they, they, or, you know, um, get you out uh, of the country and back to the U.S. for surgery, or how? How did that all go? Yeah, I, I would honestly say that was the hardest part um, of, of of the entire process, everything I've gone through since being, um, still being in Barbados um, was, was by far the hardest and scariest part. I, um, I had actually worked at, so they have one, one hospital, one public hospital. Um, and that's also where all the traumas go. And I had actually worked there when I was in medical school, ugh, you know, over 10 years ago now. And at the time, all of us foreign medical students, we really banded together and we said, you know, if anything happens to us, we get sick, we get injured. If there's any way we can possibly manage it ourselves, we are not going to go into that hospital. We're going to take care of each other because they really, I mean, they do the best they can, but their resources are limited and, and there's really only so much you can do. Um, and that goes down to little details like um, the fact that the ambulance didn't have um, pain medications beyond ibuprofen and Tylenol. Um, and I was a 45 minute drive uh, from, from the hospital on really, really quite the potholed uh, streets. So, so smaller things like that to, you know, then being in the emergency room and, and they have a CT there, but they don't have an MRI. Um, and so what that means is that they, they were able to get, you know, good enough images to see that I had a break, um, but they weren't able to actually uh, look at the spinal cord. And because of that, they weren't really able to actually assess the extent of the injury. Um, all they knew was that, yep, it was a fracture. And ultimately that, um, and they told me this, that they don't have the specialists there to, that can handle this kind of a surgery. Um, and then at the same time, this kind of a surgery needs to be stabilized. Um, so ultimately the spinal cord um, decompressed um, within 24 to 36 hours of the accident. Otherwise, whatever damage you have in that moment is what you're gonna end up with. Um, and for myself, I ended up being um, an incomplete paraplegic. So the spinal cord was injured, but not severed. Um, and with that, you know, luckily I was able to get to surgery in time and, and I did manage to have a 
very significant recovery since, but you know, if it had taken much longer to get me out of there, that that could have been a very, very different story. So, so where, where did you ultimately end up having the surgery at then? And so this is again where I kind of got lucky um, that we were able to get um, a medevac over um, to come get me. Um, on that note, I highly encourage everyone to get travel health insurance because that saved my life. Um, having them, you know, able to organize and then pay for all of it because those flights cost, you know, two to three hundred thousand dollars otherwise. Um, and then the nearest place they brought me was Miami, which was so lucky um, with it, you know, Jackson Memorial um, being so world renowned in, in their spinal cord injury um, management and research and everything. Um, so again, lucky in a sense, because living in Hawaii, you know, we have, we're a first world country, but we don't have quite the same resources that the mainland would. And, and I definitely feel uh, very, very lucky that I was able to get my care at Miami um, after, after kind of everything that led up to it. Yeah, definitely. And then, so did you go through um, like rehab at the, the Miami project or where? Where did you uh, do your rehabilitation at? How long were you able to, I mean, cause yeah, you said like with the, with the pandemic looming and the shutdown and everything, like what, I guess, what was that like? Cause I mean, a lot of people, you know, you hear so much and I know from my own personal experience, like having family and friends visiting you at the hospital is, is a huge part of um, overcoming and getting through this thing. So what, what was that like for you? Um, you know, going into a pandemic like that. Yeah, oh my gosh, you're so right. I think, um, again, almost lucky. It was right as the pandemic was really just becoming declared a pandemic. I think the U.S. had finally admitted to actually having had a few patients already. Um, and and so it, it didn't affect my immediate care too much. Um, I was really, really lucky to actually get four weeks of inpatient rehabilitation. And um, I, I was also really lucky to just have had um, an amazing neurosurgeon who's really become, he's really been my, my guardian angel through all of this, um, Dr. Green um, over in Miami. And he, um, you know, he not only performed this surgery on me, but also was, you know, there every single day, every step of the way in the hospital, um, including really making sure that, um, you know, it was little things. But when I went from the ICU to the step down unit, he, um, uh, he actually managed to get me a room, uh, a, a shared, a shared room. Um, and because they didn't have too many patients at the time, I was able to keep that that double room uh, for myself and my partner was actually able to stay with me um, pretty much throughout the entire hospitalization. And, you know, my mom flew over from Hawaii. She landed in Miami, I think 12 hours before I even did. She was there and in the emergency room, terrorizing the staff, <laughs> trying to figure out where I was and why things were taking so long. And, um, you're so right. Having having a strong support system is really 
everything um, and, and having them be able to take time off and be present with me in the hospital um, was such a blessing. And, and in part, the pandemic actually helped with that. Um, for my partner, at least, um, he's a photographer. So a lot of his jobs were getting canceled because of COVID and that actually freed up his time and made it possible for him to, to stay with me both in Miami and then, and then later when we did, um, when we moved on to outpatient therapy. Oh, that, that's, that, that must have been a blessing for sure. Uh, you know, so when, I guess, were you able to, so were you living in Barbados at the time or were you just visiting? So I was just visiting, my partner lives there um, and I live in Hawaii. So we're, we're two islands, but a million miles apart. Um, and I was just um, at the time visiting. Um, and would have been on vacation anyways for another few weeks. Um, so I wasn't really missing too much. Um, coming back to Hawaii was really interesting though, because at that point it really was a pandemic. And um, Hawaii is one of the few states that I think went into proper lockdown. So I got there two days after the entire island had shut down and really everything had shut down. And that includes doctor's offices, um, physical therapy places. Um, you know, no one was coming to do a massage on, on someone uh, that, you know, wasn't in their inner circle. And you also weren't allowed out of the house much. So it went from a really nice, nice inpatient rehab um, time to, to kind of a hard, rude awakening on the outpatient side. And I think a lot of people go through that anyways, right? You're kind of in your hospital bubble and then coming out of that and getting back into to your normal life can be quite a shock. So I definitely experienced that as well. Yeah, no kidding. I couldn't even imagine. Uh, you know, so how long until you were able to start? I mean, I'm assuming you were, they gave you some stuff to do at home, or at least you were able to figure out some rehab stuff to do at home. But um, you know, how long before you were able to get into a, a proper um, outpatient kind of rehab program? I, that's a good question. Um, it took until I had, you know, a place where I was really able to go consistently and um, they were seeing inpatient, it was probably only a month or two, but it felt like a million years, especially that early in the recovery. Um, but yeah, you know, the inpatient guys had given me a lot of exercises. And again, I got so lucky that my partner was able to um, fly with me to Hawaii rather than having to go back home. And he just trained me every day for hours. Um, I, I was, especially at the time, very much in the, I can out train this kind of mindset that is so easy to fall into. Um, and so on the bright side with nothing else to do out of the house, pretty much had all day to train. Oh, that's good. So how, um, you know, how much have you gained back, I guess, from like the initial injury and, and, um, you know, obviously they say you can gain back for a couple of years after. And I mean, I've talked to people that have gained back even past much past that. So, um, 
yeah, you know, what's, yeah, what's the, what's the outlook for you, I guess, at this point? I know, isn't that, that's always really the question. It's definitely what all, all I wanted to know when I was being discharged is what can I expect? And that's really the hardest part, not knowing what is going to happen um, and kind of having that timeline of, like you said, you have a few years, but for the most part, that's where it ends. Um, and so those people that are recovering even afterwards are just, they really give I feel all of us a lot of hope um, that you're never really done recovering. Um, so for myself, I, um, yeah, I've been so, so lucky. I, I was ultimately paralyzed almost completely from, I would say belly button down um, initially. Um, I always had sensation. It was really off um, kind of numb and tingling and burning and icy cold all at the same time. Um, that wonderful neuropathic sensation. Um, I had a little bit of quad movement still, uh, even right after the accident. And that's kind of one of the things that really gave me hope and kept me going while I was waiting to be transferred to, to Miami. And then I had really, really rapid recovery, even just in those first few weeks. Um, my quads came back super strong. And so I was able to start walking, not only with a walker, but also with crutches um, and even doing things like stairs all while I was still in inpatient rehab. Um, wow. I'm, I'm surprised stubborn and I think that's in part what's kind of been getting me to where I am now but I really wanted to move back into my old apartment I did not want to end up stuck with my parents and um and my apartment had a lot of stairs so stairs was kind of the thing that I was training for um and I was luckily able to actually get into my apartment fairly quickly um and since then you know everything I do I feel is training um, and I've always been really active. I love, I love nature. I want to be out and as active as possible at all times. Um, Hawaii is a perfect place for that. So yeah. I tried doing, yeah, tried honestly, just kind of getting back into my old activities as much as possible. It's not the same, but it's, it's amazing being able to just get into the just get the feeling of it again so I've been able to you know hike um shorter distances absolutely um but just getting back into the forest I've been able to get back to surfing um I have gotten fairly good core strength again so I can you know paddle into the waves and then just tall kneel surf um and really the main thing that I'm kind of still stuck with is, um, is foot drop. So um, my dorsiflexion is kind of the one movement that really hasn't done much. It's there um, and it's currently fighting just really high tone that I have in my legs um, and just a lot of spasm and spasticity, but it's there. And that's, you know, something that's really promising. And actually just last month, I'm now a little bit over 18 months out of the injury. Just last month, I actually had my brain reconnect with my glutes, which has been super, super exciting. Um, 
it's crazy how much they contribute to really almost everything you do. Um, so feeling, um, kind of feeling that come back and feeling that come back this far down the line um, is, is extra exciting. Yeah, that's great. That, that is, uh, that's super exciting for sure. Uh, you know, I wanted, uh, you know, that, that's awesome. So are you still having to use any like assistance when you're like out hiking or anything like that? Or are you like to the point now that you're, you're strong enough that you can kind of go on your own? Um, I haven't gone on my own yet. Um, I'm not quite that brave, although honestly, for shorter distances, I'm sure I'd be okay. Um, I have uh, great crutches that are really um, easy on the hands, but have really good grip. And so I'm pretty sturdy and stable with those and could probably mission it on my own at some point. Okay, cool, cool. That's, uh, that's very exciting. Um, you know, Anna, I did want to know, I wanted to touch back to, to you know, that you're a pediatrician, and you were, I guess, a practicing pediatrician prior to your injury. Um, and so how long after were you able to get back? I mean, I guess you're dealing with the, the pandemic as well. So that's putting a, a hold on a lot of stuff. And you mentioned that Hawaii was pretty, pretty locked down, including doctors and stuff. So um, how long before you were able to get back to that? And like, how did you feel like that had maybe your, your job had changed after your injury, you know, like it, what was more difficult, what was easier, whatever the case may be. Yeah, it was, um, I, I'll start by saying we've been lucky that COVID hasn't affected children as much as adults, um, at least in the early stages, uh, we actually were seeing much lower census, so uh, much lower patient volume in the hospital uh, in pediatrics. And that's of course changing now with the new um, Delta variant being so much more um, prone to infecting children. But it was, yeah, it was really a scary time. I think kind of watching my colleagues go through all of this and not being able to really be a part of it was was hard for me. And then kind of trying to jump back into things was hard as well because so much had changed. All of the policies and procedures that are hard enough to keep up with in the hospital to begin with, but everything was different. And, um, you know, we have great PPE and all that, but trying to put on all of this equipment while you're either in a wheelchair or on crutches and then actually keeping everything safe and close so that you're really not ac accidentally getting into contact with anything in the patient room is actually really hard. And I think something that hasn't necessarily been um, taken into account, it's certainly brought up a lot of new questions for my hospital um, and trying to trying to deal with those things. Um, but to answer your other question, I went to I went back to work fairly quickly. Um, 
Dr. Green, when he discharged me, was kind of along the lines of, oh, you know, you can go back anytime. You could go back tomorrow. And I just remember thinking, are you absolutely insane? There's no way I can go back after six weeks after a spinal cord injury. Um, but ultimately, I, I do. I love my job. And sitting at home, focusing just on myself and my injury wasn't really that good for me either. Um, I was really, um, and you know, brain fog, that hospital, especially hospital associated brain fog that you get, that's real. And that's really scary. I could really tell in the hospital over uh, the longer it got and the more medication I needed to get put on to, to fight off my various symptoms, um, it was really affecting my brain and, so getting back to work was something that was really um, important for me to try to do as much as as quickly as possible. And I think I ended up going back, um, started attending meetings after, let's see, after three and a half months. And then I went back to actually seeing patients um, about four, four and a half months after the injury. Okay. Wow, that's, and I mean, going, like, obviously, you didn't have as maybe severe, I mean, all spinal cord injuries are different. So the rate, I mean, you can't really say it's not severe. It's a severe injury, regardless of, of what level it is, or how much movement you get back. But going into a hospital right after having something like that, during a pandemic, I mean, that must have been pretty stressful for you. Um, and then I know you've mentioned the PPE and all of that. But yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine having like I haven't yeah I don't want I still don't want to go to a hospital like I'm uh you know and I'm I'm not having to for work so I couldn't even imagine what that thought process was like I mean were, did you have any like because obviously most people with spinal cord injuries have you know weakened lungs um breathing things like that so did you deal with any kind of respiratory issues that you had to that you're still dealing with or, or that you did um, in the immediate aftermath of the injury? And then did that contribute to like some stress going back into the hospital? Yeah, that really would have. I can totally, I'm getting anxiety as you're telling this story because oh, I can feel how <laughs> terrifying that would be. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah it's, um, I was, I was really lucky that really um, my level was low enough that it didn't, uh, it didn't affect my breathing. Um, I pretty much, the highest up it is is like a fest, uh, is in um, affecting ultimately digestion and, and my bladder um, as well. But it thankfully did not affect my breathing and and with um, you know not having had any other injuries, I think really helped as well. Um, I'm never going to be someone to say the hospital is my happy place, um, but. I, I do love, I do love my job and I specifically really love actually working in the hospital. Um, so I, I'm, I'm subspecialized as someone who sees pediatric patients that are hospitalized. So that means I don't, I don't have a private practice or, or anything like that. Um, and I think with that, there's a certain kind of calm and routine and just the ability to really rely on teams and having all that in a hospital are all they're all things that really 
that actually calmed me down. Um, that being said, going back during a pandemic, not so much. Uh, that's definitely not quite the same as it was before. And you could really tell, you know, everyone was so much more, even with us where we were hardly seeing any of the patients, but everyone was so much more tense and um, just this underlying panic of not really knowing what to expect um, was something that, um, that that was definitely new new for me going back. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I I salute you, and that's that's amazing that you you are were able to go back so quickly, and and that you're still doing such a great job. Um, you know, I did want to talk about. Um, I only have a few questions left for you here, so yeah. I, I appreciate you uh, so no, much joining me tonight. Um, yeah, so I wanted, I know that we had, um, when I had initially reached out to you, um, you mentioned you were traveling, uh, I guess, to visit your, um, the neurosurgeon in, in Miami, Dr. Green, and then going on to visit your partner in Barbados. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, how it was for you kind of traveling with a spinal cord injury um, and like what the accessibility was like, if, if I know, I know you can walk somewhat, so I don't know if like the accessibility was as much on your radar as it is for somebody that's completely wheelchair bound. Um, but what what was that what was that trip like? I guess flying back after you know I, I guess you had already flown across the country into Hawaii once, but um, what was it like in it really in the the thick of of a pandemic? Yeah, and, and that that first trip was so I honestly I remember so little of it. I was definitely on all of the pain medications that that first trip back. And um, you know, at the time had a fully in place um and was, you know, strong enough to move from one seat to the next and you know transfer, but definitely not do anything else. So my first that flight back, um, and that was early, early on when you didn't even have to wear masks yet on a plane. This was like later of March, 2020 at this point. So it was definitely very different. And I have to say the flying part um, was actually much more pleasant than I expected it to. Um, I was so fortunate that my mom actually sponsored some of her miles and I was able to get first class seats for just the longest stretch of the flight, which is an eight hour flight between um, Houston and Honolulu. Um, and then I did the shorter stretches um, just kind of with more regular seating. So having, you know, eight hours to really just stretch out and, and rest my back um, was really pleasant and definitely made the flying much, much easier. Um, and at this point, you're right, like I can get up and, and, and walk and on the plane, not even with crutches, you know, everything's so claustrophobically close anyways, I could kind of just cruise along the various furniture walls, other people's seats to, to use the restroom regularly, which was very, very pleasant compared to the fully experience that I'd had the first time around. Um, and I did the lazy version, which was giving up my wheelchair straight off um, when I was checking in and just having them wheel me from plane to plane, um, which 
I have to say, yeah, was was highly pleasant and definitely took away some of the stress. I tried on one other flight um, on the way back to just wheel myself. And it was one of the most miserable wheelchair experiences I've had yet. So I don't know if, um, if it's something that I'll be able to really do in the future, but um, that part I would say was really pleasant. Otherwise, you know, traveling is scary in itself, going to new places and not being able to rely on your routine, the stress of counting out medications just to make sure I have enough of everything and like the panic of forgetting something that's just so important that you're not going to have access to easily. Otherwise, it's, it's on such a different level. And then Miami is great. It's much more accessible than, than Honolulu is, but Barbados is the opposite. And I am so thankful that I can walk with crutches. I don't think I would have gotten anywhere with my wheelchair there. There wasn't a single accessible bathroom um, or really accessible of anything much. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah, I'm glad. I think, I mean, long-term, even Hawaii, I'm considering whether it might make sense to move um, just to have more access to, you know, specialized um, therapists and, and just all the other opportunities that, that you have on the mainland that's so much harder to access here. Um, but Barbados, for example, or yeah, really any third world country is pretty much the, off my list of, of potential places to live, at least for the foreseeable future. I, I could imagine, I could imagine. Uh, you know, I did want to talk to you a little bit, Anna, about, um, about mental health, because I was thinking, you know, being a doctor and having everyone probably look to you, probably like your immediate family, like if I, you know, if I had a doctor in the family, I'm definitely calling them before I go to the, go to a doctor or something. But, you know, what is that, what was that experience like having to kind of give up that control or I don't know if you'd call it control, but having to depend on other people in that situation, at least for the, you know, the few weeks that you were like really, you know, unable to even move, move around much um, to, and now it's so awesome that you're able to get around with crutches and, and be more independent. But I mean, at the end of the day, you still have a spinal cord injury. So uh, you know, what was, what was that process like for you? I mean, how, how did that affect you positively or negatively? That was, uh, I loved your use of the word control actually, because that, that was what was hardest for me, um, letting go of control and, and independence and, um, yeah, especially as the doctor who's usually really in control of the situation, um, not having that was was definitely one of the harder things I've had to and that I'm really still dealing with. Um, I had an amazing, amazing therapist in Miami um, who uh, really followed me um, those first six weeks there. And, um, and then I had a bit of a bumpy transition here. Again, it was 
um, just hard to find doctors who had already transitioned to even being able to do telehealth. Um, and then that got better over time. And now, unfortunately, you know, with the pandemic, everyone's mental health is is taking quite a bit of a hit and our psychiatrists and psychologists are so, so busy um, that, yeah, I, so I, I did end up getting, you know, finding a really good um, pair of a person to kind of pair up with here. But I would say the the, the first thing I really needed to, to work on um, specifically when it comes down to letting go of control and just being so much more dependent on others was um, my communication, honestly, my ability to actually verbalize my needs and not, not feel guilty having to ask people to help. Um, still something I'm practicing. Yeah, it's still, it's still not really coming natural. Um, and thankfully I'm needing it less, but, um, less and less, but it was, um, that was, I think the most, um, really the, the, the first thing that I, I felt I really had to, I had to learn. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you probably, there's probably no way to answer this, but I would imagine that the doctors and the, the nurses and the physical therapists and whatnot probably are going to, you know, probably talk to you differently than they would just like, a, you know, a random person that just got injured that doesn't, you know, isn't in the medical field. I, I mean, I just, yeah. Uh, did you notice anything like that compared to other patients that you were dealing with or that were in there at the same time as you, or was it? Were you pretty much uh, tunnel vision on your own kind of uh, recovery and diagnosis? No, I, you know, you're, um, I did notice that. And I actually really enjoy that. It makes it easier for me um, just already kind of having a head start and knowing, you know, having my therapists or doctors know that they don't have to start at the very beginning when explaining things. Um, and they can explain it in a little bit of a different way. So for my therapy it was actually really helpful. I think because I know anatomy well and because I'd always been really interested in kind of sports medicine and things like that. So actually really knowing where, which muscles control which movement and really very, um, Uh, yeah, just very directly being able to actually send my brain energy that way, even if it didn't really connect with anything and didn't really um, lead to any movement. But being able to do that definitely made made things easier. Um, some things were harder. I think sometimes, you know, because I know the system, um, when things weren't quite working out and I would argue it, um, that's obviously never well received. And I totally understand that having been on the other side of it and just having these patients that are argumentative all the time and think that they know better. Um, so it has its ups and downs. Um, and thankfully for the most part, um, you know, it was actually, helpful for both myself and for everyone involved in my care that I that I do have that medical background. That's very cool. Very cool. Uh, you know, 
kind of my last question that I ask a lot of people um, dealing with spinal cord injuries is if they have any kind of outside of the box health tips or like, you know, whether it be supplements or, um, you know, a cream or something that you can use for pain relief, like whatever the case may be, um, that other people may not have heard about that you've found. And so I'm kind of interested to hear if, you know, as a doctor, and I know you're only, you know, 18 months removed from your injury, but I don't know if you've found anything or heard of anything um, that might not be totally mainstream that people could do to, you know, make life easier, make, you know, life more enjoyable, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a great question. I kind of wish I did um, because I definitely am still, still learning, you know, things that are helpful for myself. And I feel that I'm kind of in the same boat as so many of us. We're just stuck with these symptoms that are really hard to treat because people don't really actually understand yet what causes them. Um, I mean, nerve pain uh, is you know, you can theoretically manage, but there's nothing as needed that really helps with any of them. Um, the, the same thing goes for spasms. And I had really bad spasticity for, for a long time. Um, that was bad enough that it got to a point where my heels, like my feet were just permanently in a, um, almost like the Barbie doll um, foot position as if someone was expecting to put high heels on me. Um, and so that I couldn't, couldn't even get that stretched. Um, so something that helped with that, which is really just an in the moment thing, but it really makes a big difference, um, is, uh, is actually just taking, um, a towel and rubbing it as quickly as possible over my calves, um, which really managed to somehow control the the spasms that I would get and some of the spasticity and that would really help me kind of ease into the stretch without it just being this pure painful like stretching position that my body doesn't like so my body then responds with more spasms and more spasticity um I tried um acupuncture which definitely did help um for for some of it um, I would say for my digestion, um, tummy massages with castor oil are pretty much the thing that is most reliably helpful. Um, beef, um, much more, even honestly, more than even suppositories. Um, and I mean, we all love those, right? So I feel the tummy massage is also relaxing. It just feels really nice. Um, and honestly, for my mental health, being in the ocean, um, it helps physically so much as well. It's hard if you're having a lot of nerve pain. Um, and so that made it hard for me to get into the water. But if it's, or even a pool for that matter, as long as it's not too cold, um, that's something that it's just so amazing because it really, it gives your body back that feeling a little bit at least of feeling closer to normal um, and kind of it just feeling the way it always felt in the water. And I think, um, yeah, for my sanity, that part has definitely um, getting in the water and just 
training there, just floating in it even. And then for me, um, you know, surfing or diving um, have all been, been really helpful as well. That's very cool. Very cool. Uh, well, Dr. Anna Luker, I appreciate you so much. And I'm sorry that I did not put the doctor in your name. I'm oh my God, please don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for joining me and, and telling us your story. And yeah, we definitely thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing as a pediatrician. And, and uh, yeah, just we appreciate you coming on. And, and I hope we can talk again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Thank you so much again for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy to <laughs> talk to you soon, Anna. Yeah, bye. All right, welcome back. That was Anna Luker, Dr. Anna Luker. Yeah, respect the name. Appreciate, right? I got respect, man. She's uh she's awesome. Like yeah, she honestly, is. like I just feel like that was such um you know, it's like inspiration, like hearing this, you know, I mean I'm I'm rooting for her big time. Like just the fact that she was able to come back so quick and um you know her injury wasn't as bad but i mean she's still having major effects and um you know we're definitely we're we're supporting from over here in in washington well you know you know not to get political jer uh but she does bring up a lot of um she didn't directly bring them up but talking about healthcare in the united states you know we have probably like the best healthcare in one of the western worlds right right and then the fact that we can go to a restaurant and find handicapped accommodations to get into the building, to go to the bathroom, yeah. all those things that you know that uh, she touched on, not really directly, but that are difficult in other countries. Right, and she kind yeah, she kind of made the point that you know Barbados was not somewhere she would be trying to live. I mean, she just right. so she just went and revisited Barbados for the first time since her injury to visit her partner who still lives there and just the fact, I mean, yeah, no. she got to kind of see it firsthand, like the lack of accessibility in, in I think, a third world country. I mean, I think the quote was from her was that we live on two islands a million miles away. Mm -hmm. It seems like, or something like that, you know, that's how different they are. So yeah. yeah. Give you some perspective. I mean, it's even the, the simple things like sidewalks. Yeah. Right. And, ramps onto the sidewalk yeah. you know, or I, doors I, you could fit through yeah i remember my dad traveling to europe after my accident and just being like you would you would hate it yeah. like it would like they you know because like they have like the old cobblestone, cobblestone roads yeah, yeah. And like like you know, i couldn't even imagine yeah i mean it's like constant speed bumps basically yeah. um but yeah you know i i just yeah, i appreciate anna coming on the show and uh, I thought that was a great perspective from somebody that doesn't have a typical spinal cord injury. Yeah, and, and she's on her way to recovery, mm -hmm. and um, she's working hard in this uh, very taxing environment, you know, out there in Hawaii. So uh, my hat's off to her. Yeah, no, me too, me too, absolutely. Uh, you know, I did send Ricardo, you and, uh, you know, I like to go on the internet, Brandon. We know. So uh, I sent, Ricardo, I sent you an article about basically a new brain implant that they're trying to bring out that you know does more than like maybe the Neuralink we've talked about the Neuralink before and how that would restore function but not feeling right and this new one is actually like going I guess deeper kind of into the crevices of the brain it said and yeah and uh it's gonna 
allow you to it's gonna allow the just to Jeremy, map just out leave the, it up to our research all right, yeah. here, man. So, no, 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 no. No, it was it was it was quite interesting. Uh, the uh, you know they're they're getting deeper into the folds of the brain. They're able to do that without uh, damaging and inser- inserting these sensors that are actually recording um, what the brain is when you're thinking about moving your arms or your hands or your feet or your legs and those muscles and it's recording those inputs and then rewiring it not um it's kind of bypassing the injury in your spinal cord right and then um actually setting uh sensors on the tips of your fingers because they're just starting out with hands and the simple movements first and then those sensors then give that feedback to your brain and it's kind of re your brain is relearning how to manage those uh, inputs from those uh, sensors. So it's pretty interesting, very interesting uh, work. Yeah. And there were uh, three patients right now that they've had some su- success for, and it was got FDA approval right. to move forward into more testing. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. I've reached out to. Is uh, it? Sorry, real quick, Jeremy. I'll just have a quick question on that. For the researcher, go ahead. No, not on the researcher. Well, he's, is, it, is, it re, is it then like relearning that stuff? Is it teaching the. the computer essentially to yes yeah yeah okay. yeah so the microchip or whatever yeah. they implant is going to be able to to so uh, then it, it, it remembers right yeah or they can program it you yeah know, they're going to be able to program the microchip or whatever it is to to do the movements when your brain says you know move my big toe it'll move your big yeah toe. or move my index finger and you know one of the things that i took out of the article and uh there's a lot of exoskeleton type stuff with that you they program where you can move the skeleton. But um, as Jeremy pointed out to me before, it's the sensation. You may be able to move your hand or walk in an exoskeleton, but you right. can't feel that, right? So this is taking it one step further by inserting those implants further into the brain and then putting a, you know a skin-like sensor. They have this ultra-thin microchip that they can put on the tips of your finger that can get the pressure feedback which is really the key. So even though it's a, an artificial sensation, your brain is um, uh, thinking that it's a real sensation? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yep. oh, interesting. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so you won't crush that styrofoam cup when you pick it up. Gotcha. Right. But are you getting a feeling sensation? Is your brain telling you yes. that I actually yeah. feel this? Yes. Crazy. Yeah. We've mm-hmm. talked a lot about, Ricardo, on this podcast, like what... Because there's been a lot of things that, like you said, with the exoskeleton, it restores movement, but the feeling sensation, it's lacking. And it's kind of like having that conversation with Jeremy, like, is that good enough for you? Do you know? And he's like, oh, anything's better than nothing. Right. But. Yeah, I mean, the, with feeling, it's going to be, that's the, the ultimate thing. Yeah. Right? So. Well, one of the things that uh, opened up my eyes to all this, Jeremy, is, you know, I've known you for a long time, but I've never really had deep discussions. But some of these interviews, um, oh, was it Anna Rock, Rockwood? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, Angela Rockwood. Angela yeah. Rockwood, yeah. Where she describes the XYZ plane, right? Where she, after her injury, she didn't know where she was in space, right? And I never thought of that before. But that's really key to your balance, you know, vertigo, all those things, right? You know, that's probably what happens when you get vertigo is you can't balance yourself anymore. And those, those X, Y, Z planes, your balance and all those things that, you know, you, uh, 
learn from a baby, right? That's what babies are doing, right? That's why they roll around, they pick sure. themselves up. They're learning all those muscles and the spatial part of it. Right. So I'm sure that's pretty key to this uh, work too. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, for good measure, this was, uh, the, the article was, was focused on uh, bioelectronic medical engineer, Chad Bouton of the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research and Northwell Health. Uh, so that's who's doing that that study. So we'll, we'll, I'm I'm reaching out to them to see if we can get somebody on the show to talk about it because I feel like it's pretty fascinating work. So yeah, and I'm you know what I was thinking about you know your injury is a long term injury you know more than two decades now, and would it be able to help you? Yeah, that's what I want to know as well. Yeah, definitely. Or so. people like you, people like you and your your yeah, because everybody's a snowflake. True. Exactly. Yeah, we've no injuries or alike. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, guys, I feel like in the last couple minutes of the podcast here, let's play a game. Oh, fun. Oh, let's okay. play a game on who who's the who's the best co-host. All right. So you got some questions. I got a couple questions for you guys. Brandon, two episodes ago, no, last episode, I made a comment. That you had 99 problems, but what wasn't one of them? Uh, is there a drink? I have to take a drink or something, like a no. shot if I don't know? <laughs> no. Jeremy, I listen, I've been having medical procedures, <laughs> and I don't really appreciate this game. Okay, it was being a dad at 40 was not yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So if you don't know what the what the procedure was, now you He's know. no Nick Cannon. That's no. what I got to say. Yeah. Ricardo, your, your turn. Yeah. Who was the interview guest on the first episode of the Live to Walk Again podcast, formerly known as the Surviving Paralysis podcast? I'm stumped. Jesus, you guys are failing this test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was me, Ricardo. Well, it was me. Oh, okay. All right. Um, anyway, well, it's it's TBD who's going to be back next week, guys. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. Um, but, you know, thank you guys for I, coming. I had a great time, Dan. So no, that was my only time. Yeah, you it's guys a tie. You're going to come back. You guys both lost, but... Uh, no, thank you guys for, for coming down and, and uh, doing the podcast. I think this is a great, uh, good good thing going here. And, and thank you again to Dr. Anna Luker. Um, you know, every, everybody check out the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, like, rate, review, share it. We, uh, we appreciate it. We're just trying to find a cure for paralysis over here. Yep. Thank, thank you guys. Yeah, thanks. All right. Talk to you next week.